Thank you, Nick and Joe David for the song service. I appreciate it. And Will for the thoughts at communion. It's always good to see Joshua up here and thinking of, of Lexi, who was also baptized. These are special family moments, are they not? And good morning to you, church. Mis hermanos, bienvenidos. You know, during this, uh, during this time of... Um, sobriety, if you will, a very somber year last year, and as we enter 2021 with a pandemic going on, every now and then we just need a good laugh, do we not? You know, I was at, um, and this has zero to do with the sermon, which is the reason I preface it, that's my disclaimer. I was in Lowe's the other day getting something, I don't know what it was, pulled out my wallet to pull my credit card out, and and the lady behind the counter saw my military ID. She saw a portion of it, so she knew exactly what it was. And she said, darling, well, I, I love it here, by the way. <laughs> darling, she says, darling, thank you for your service. I said, well, that's nice of you to say. And she said, if anyone ever gives you a hard time, you send them to me. <laughs> true, true story. And I, and I asked, uh, what, what would you say to them? <laughs> and she said, I'd tell them to go suck a pickle. <laughs> and actually, my first thought after that was, what a great place to live. <laughs> I really, I mean, I have traveled the world, honestly, and we've so loved Tennessee the last 15 years. And by God's grace, this is where I'll take my last breath. But Anyway, uh, and I've never been anywhere where people, total strangers call me Derry and Darlin. Thank me for my service and tell my enemies to go suck a pickle. I mean, that really is about as good as it gets. I guess it does relate a little bit in that we're talking about family here, and that's who Paul is addressing in the book of, of Colossians. Christ supplemented is Christ supplanted. Now, I meant to say that last week, but frankly, since I don't use notes, I just forgot it. But it is the singular theme of the epistle to the Colossians. In fact, it's also the singular theme for different reasons to the letter to the Galatians and to Romans. Christ supplemented if you think that's just fine to have Jesus Christ as one of many others that will either get you to heaven or, you know, equating them, you know, him with the angels or whomever, then you've completely missed the point of the good news of God through Christ. Christ supplemented is Christ supplanted. Now, that is, without a doubt, the, the single theme of Colossians. If you'll recall last week, we started the epistle, um, and we're talking about the Colossian heresy. You don't have to have a label for it. If you were to read through all four chapters of Colossians, I suspect you wouldn't know what to call whatever the false teachings were 
uh, at Colossae, but you would understand why Paul's really concerned. He's really concerned because they have taken away the preeminence of Jesus. They've taken away the supremacy of Christ. They've removed the only begotten Son of God and just made Jesus Christ one of others, one of many others, either angels or or some other uh, elemental spirit, or whatever, you know, however you choose to define it. This heresy, unlike today perhaps in detail, but very much like today in principle, this heresy was a very uh, dizzying mixture, a very curious mixture, this false teaching that they were receiving at Colossae that Paul's writing about, a very curious mixture of Judaism, some scholars say Babylonian Judaism, when the Jews were in captivity and how their religion somewhat morphed from, from when they were in Jerusalem. Um, so Babylonian Judaism uh, tied in with Christianity, tied in with the mystery religions of the Greco-Roman world and, and the Middle East, tied in with Epicureanism and Stoicism and these Greek philosophies, and some say even tied in to, to, to an incipient form of Gnosticism, which later in the second century would become a full-blown heresy. Anyway, it's this eclectic combination, collective, of all these crazy thoughts. Now, what's really crazy about it is that the church in Colossae, some of their members were buying into this. And the whole heresy revolved around a dualism that removed God from the material world. And their thought was, how in the world can a divine God be, be like you and me, flesh and blood? So God is way up there, and we're down here, and the two never meet unless we somehow ascend into the heavens. It was a really, and I've used the word dizzy now three times, forgive me, but it, when I read about it, it just makes me dizzy. I think, <laughs> what's going on? But that is the singular thought. Christ supplemented is Christ supplanted. So tell me, how did Paul, we discussed this last week in part, how did Paul address the false teaching? By the way, how can we address it? Do you think it occurs today? Well, not if you're talking about a mixture of Judaism and Christianity and the Greco-Roman gods and philosophies and so forth, but if you're talking about removing God from the public square and removing God from our public discourse and removing God from everything that we believe in, yeah, it's very much present today. It's as heretical today as it was 2,000 years ago. And guess what? The solution is the same. So Paul writes, verses 2, chapter 1, through verse 14, remember who you are. You are in Christ, verse 2. You have been delivered from darkness, verse 13. You have been redeemed and forgiven. Remember who you are. Anytime anything challenges our faith, the only recourse I have and you have is for me and you to remember who I am. I am a Christian. I'm not a Christian plus. I am in Christ and all through Scripture, not only the New Testament, but the Old Covenant as well, the Hebrew text, all through Scripture, that concept of being in God, in Christ, should suffice. 
So that's what Paul says. Remember who you are, and then he adds, as we'll discuss it today, remember who God is. In this case, remember who Christ is. And if you don't forget who Jesus Christ is, then he will never be supplemented and therefore never be supplanted. Know who you are and know who Christ is. So Paul addresses this with this text. Now this may be too small for you to read. Uh, I think online they'll be able to read it because right now I'm sure as I'm speaking all they're looking at is this slide, which is good. If you can't read the words, look at your own Bible, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Because this is how Paul addresses the heresy from the very beginning. It's as if he's writing Brother Witt, and he says, Witt, I want to remind you who you are. You are in Christ. You've been delivered. You've been redeemed, and you've been forgiven. And how do I know that? Well, because he, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or authorities, no telling, he's talking, break, break, he's talking about these elemental spirits in this hierarchy that this, this heresy produced. And by the second century, we're looking at over 250 elemental spirits. That's, it, gets even, it gets even dizzier. Thrones or dominions or principalities or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the, by the blood of his cross. Now that's Paul's response to the Colossian heresy. That's Paul's response to America when America says we don't want to hear about Christ or God. That's Paul's response when our lips are sealed in the marketplace or in our, or in our public discourse. This is God's response to humanity when it comes to his presence through Jesus Christ. Need to ever, never forget it. Now, if you'll look at these uh, six verses... You'll notice I have two words underlined, the word creation and the word church. I can tell you that scholars, for I think, well actually it goes back to the second, second century, scholars for two millennia believe this was a hymn, a worship hymn, that the church at Colossae probably sang every Sunday. And Paul does this pretty frequently. He did the same thing when he wrote the Philippian church. Philippians 2, uh, verses 6 through 11. You know, have this mind that you have in Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, emptied himself, etc. That was probably a hymn they were very familiar with. We would do the same thing, by the way. If we talked about amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me, or whatever song you choose to sing, if, you know, one could easily be talking about that topic and break right into the song because we are familiar with it and familiarity is always good for retention. 
And so Paul, I believe in Colossians, is writing this epistle reminding them of who Christ is via a hymn. And it really does, in the original language, kind of lend itself to this rhythmic pattern. There are two stanzas. The verse numbers aren't on the screen, but verses 16 through 17 uh, end with, in him all things hold together. And then verses 18, 19, and 20 pick up with, he is the head of the body of the church. Now, what Paul is communicating is really neat. He's saying that this preeminent, all-sufficient, supreme God in the flesh given to us, this Jesus Christ was the agent who spoke the cosmos, the world, into existence. He is the agent for creation. But he's also the agent, if you can think of a better word, that's fine. If he, he's also the creator of a new creation, the church. And so you've got these two hymns, uh, two stanzas, singing a song about Jesus Christ. And as we sing the first stanza, we elevate Christ to be the creator of all things. And as we sing the second stanza, we realize that we are the new creation. And it blends really well together. And it reminds us who Jesus is. So let's look at these two stanzas. He is the image of the invisible God. You ever heard the word icon? We use it all. In fact, you know, years ago, a lot of folks didn't know what it meant because the only time you'd know what an icon was is if you went to an Eastern Orthodox church building, and as opposed to anything that was two-dimensional, they believed that would be breaking the second commandment of Exodus 20, you know, make no graven image. And so the Eastern church simply had pictures, you know, paintings, one-dimensional works, and they called them icons. In Greek, icon. And that's what Paul is saying. He is the image. But the word not only means reflection, the word means manifestation. And so, and, and, and you have to define vocabulary by context. We do it in English all the time as well. No different from our original language in the Bible, Hebrew and Aramaic and, and, and Greek. So, he is the image, he is the manifestation of the invisible God, the firstborn firstborn. We think of delivery, physical delivery. But the word not only means literally proto first tokas birth, not only means firstborn, but in the context it can also refer to existing before or beginning. And this context clearly lends itself to that to that definition. He is the manifestation of the invisible God, the beginning of all creation. For in him all things were created. I mean, just what you're reading is what the Apostle Paul wrote, inspired by God. What we're reading in English is precisely God's thought, the Spirit's thought, the Spirit of Christ. It's his word that Jesus, in Christ Jesus, all things were created. And to tell you, church, Jesus Christ is not just some nice guy like America and other countries of the world want to espouse, not just some nice man, great man even, who lived for 33 years and performed miracles. 
And some leave off the latter phrase. The Bible tells us clearly that Jesus Christ was the agent of the Trinity that spoke the world into existence. I don't know if you can see this backdrop here. Lance, over the months, has really helped me out, over the years, actually, with various slides. I'll let him know what I'll be preaching on. Uh, he did the same thing for Brother Josh, and no telling, you know, m m probably many of you. But anyway, you'll notice that's the Milky Way, if you can see it. It's only a slice of our Milky Way. There is no photograph of our Milky Way. It's, I have read where it's, where it's elliptical, and all we're looking at when we see it from in, in, in our night sky, even with the greatest telescopes, we're looking at simply a small little slice of the Milky Way. But if, if the lights were turned out, you'd see that. It's just a portion of the Milky Way. All things were created in Him. You know, the Milky Way, and I believe this, the Milky Way is one of, they say, billions of galaxies in the universe. And our star, our sun, is one of billions of stars within the Milky Way. And Jesus Christ created all of it. I know we have a hard time with God, Father, Son, Spirit. Remember, they are one. We are not polytheistic believers. We only believe in one God. That's why John will tell us, the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was with God in the beginning. Without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life is the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. And if there's any question who the Word John is referencing, he spells it out clearly just a few verses later in verse 14 of John chapter 1. And the Word became flesh manifested in flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the beginning of all creation, and in him all things were created. He's not one of many. He's the only one. And if we ever lose sight of that, we lose sight of the gospel. You remove God from the material world, there is no incarnation, there is no life, there is no death, there is no burial, there is no resurrection, there is no deliverance, there is no redemption or forgiveness. It's all gone. And Paul understands that, God speaking through Paul, and so he's writing the church at Colossae, you must cease and desist. This is a false teaching. I'll tell you what, you don't have to know all the false teachings, and I know this is an aside, I keep thinking I'm going to have a 20-minute sermon, and honestly, God is my witness, I do prepare it. I really do. I prepare a 20 minutes of thought. It just doesn't work out that way. Years ago, an aside, so my, these translators, well, bless your heart. But years ago, I read uh, from an FBI uh, agent uh, writing an article, something in, in Dallas, Texas, 
And somebody asked the question uh, about counterfeit money. And the guy, you know, how, how do you, you know, what do you look for in counterfeit money, the, the currency, the bills? And he said, we, we, we don't study counterfeit money. We only study the real bill. And anything different is counterfeit. So you don't have to know the false teachings of the world. Anyone who speaks to you or writes to you or you read or you hear any of that, if Christ is not the only source of your salvation, it is counterfeit. All things were created through him and for him. Two I've heard, and I mean, so have you. There are two questions that every philosopher has asked long before uh, God was made manifest in the flesh in the first century. The two questions of, of human history have always been, does my life matter? And why am I here? Does my life matter? And God, through Paul, tells you, everyone, yes, your life matters. Your value is not based on how you look. Your value is not based on what you own. Your value is not based on how many brain cells you have. Your value matters only in that God, Christ, created you. And he loves you and created you just the way you are. You don't have to change your looks. You don't have to increase your, your, your worth, your net worth. You don't have to think, man, I wish I was smarter. None of it matters. How do we know? Well, first of all, it's replete all through Scripture. But here's the good. All things were created through Him, Christ. And God doesn't make mistakes. And all things were created for Him. There is a beautiful text uh, in uh, Psalm 139. Let me just read a portion of it because it really corroborates this. Uh, verses 13 through 16. It also really refers to the sanctity of life, but that would be all of us, both in the womb and living today. Now, this is the psalmist writing, and I'm reading from the message. I, this is the Revised Standard, but I cheated. I put the message here. You shaped me first inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God, you're breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something like an open book. You watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared before I'd even lived one day. Do you matter? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Whether we take our last breath at one month old or our last breath at 101, you matter. And if anyone even hints that's not the case unless you change something, 
It's heretical. Don't believe it. It's the devil's lie. The image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation. In him all things were created in heaven and on earth. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. That was the first stanza, Christ over creation. This is the second stanza. We'll not spend as much time on it. It's the second stanza, Christ over the new creation, the church. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away and the new has come. Now, this heresy, these false teachers minimized the importance of the church. That's another red flag for you. Anyone who minimizes the importance of the assembled believers doesn't know Scripture or doesn't know enough of it. We're not saying that they're damned. We're simply saying that they don't understand why God created the church and why the gates of hell, Matthew 16, cannot prevail against the church. Why? Because the church will break down the gates of hell. That's why we're here. We are here because sin ruined the first creation. So what did God do? Because he loved us. He has a second creation. Now that will be brought in its, in its entirety at the second coming when Jesus returns where our citizenship is, and from there we await the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But until that time comes, this is the prototype. This is what the body of Christ should be. It should be perfect, like we were in the garden before sin entered the world. Are we perfect? The, the, the body is, the concept is, and clearly the head is, but no, I am not perfect. But what happens when I do sin? Well, I'm delivered, so therefore I'm redeemed and forgiven. And so you've got this, this cyclical moment. He is the head over all things for the body. By the way, Paul will use the metaphor of body for the church uh, more than once. But he only uses the word head twice. Ephesians and here in Colossians. Jesus Christ is the head of the church, universal, the head of the church locally. He is the head of the body of Christ and the assembled believers. It is there when we die to sin and we're buried in Christ in baptism and we arise to walk a new life, we are a new creation, and who adds us? God adds us to the assembly, to the body. Why? Well, because wit can't add you. <laughs> I can't do it. The shepherds can't add you. You know, no one can add you but the head over the body. For in him of, um, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself. Just a reminder, the purpose of God's church is to reconcile us to him. The purpose of the gospel the good news, the purpose of our redemption is to reconcile us to God. 
And that's what he wants for all humanity. And anyone who says, well, you've got the church one way to heaven, you know, God, and you've got something else, they not only do they not understand truth and scripture, it's heretical because Christ supplemented is Christ supplanted. You know, I, I read a story. We're going to close with a story. I read a story. Um, actually, I just read it a few days ago. But it was written several years ago. And I loved it because it really reinforces this whole thought. So let me tell you the story, and then we'll go to the next slide. In Birmingham, England, to this day, there are, there's a chain of Lewises, and Lewises the Lewis department store, not the size of Walmart, that's a global conglomerate, but, you know, I don't know what to compare it to and, you know, maybe a local department store around here that there are three or four stores. Anyway, in England, uh, you, can, you can go to England, Birmingham, especially because that's where the headquarters uh, exist, and you have Lewis's department stores. Well, the time came when the largest Lewis department store, um, large footprint, wanted to expand, but right next door was a Quaker chapel. And the Quaker chapel they called, of course, the Friends Meeting House. That's what the Quakers call it. Interesting place if you've never been to a Quaker worship. It's like you don't do anything. You just sit there in silence, you know. Wow. Uh, anyway, um, so, and, and, and I didn't mean to make light of the Quaker at all. I, I really didn't. So right next to Lewis's department store was the, meet, was the friend's meeting house. So John Lewis, the family of John Lewis, wrote this letter to the leadership of this little bitty piece of land right next to the large department store. And the letter is this. <clears throat> Dear sirs, we wish to extend um, our premises. We see that your building is right in the way. We wish, therefore, to buy your building and demolish it so that we might expand our store. We will pay you any price you care to name. If you'll name a price, we will settle the matter as quickly as possible. Yours sincerely, John Lewis. Now, John Lewis and the family is a wealthy family. Now, I don't know how much money they have, but they're wealthy. Lo, um, just after they sent this, they received this letter. Dear sirs, we in the Friends Meeting House note the desire of Lewis's to extend. We observe that our building is right in your way. We would point out, however, that we have been on our site somewhat longer than you have been on yours, and we are determined to stay where we are. We are so, we are so determined to stay where we are that we will happily buy Lewis's. If, therefore, you would like to name a suitable price, we will settle the matter as quickly as possible. Yours sincerely, John Cadbury. I don't know if you recognize the name Cadbury. In America, you would recognize the name Hershey. Cadbury, the original John Cadbury in the, in, in the middle 19th century, was a chocolatier. And he established a business that in today's money is worth billions. The Cadbury family, their candy and their chocolates are billions of dollars this man is worth, this family is worth. They could easily have bought Lewis's entire chain and not even notice the drop in money. 
The point is this. What counts is not the size of the building, but who signs the letter. And Paul reminds us, you are a letter from Christ, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Do you matter? Hmm. Your footprint may not be that large, but who signed your letter? Christ is preeminent. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This morning, if you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, wow, change that immediately. Die to your sins, as Paul writes in Romans 6. Be buried. What do you do with the corpse? You bury it. Die to your sins, be buried with Christ, and arise to walk a new creature. Saved, redeemed, and forgiven. And if you are in Christ, and you choose, you need to rededicate yourself, then return. Come home as we stand with Joe David and as we sing, church.